0: This is the Burning Rooms podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations and share the stories to strengthen and encourage your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan, and this is actually the second part of our conversation on singleness in the church and in the prayer movement. So if you have not listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode. And for those that are tuned in for the second episode and have listened to the first one, here is a recap. So previously on the Burning Rooms podcast, we're going to be talking
1: about singleness. And so, Rebecca, as a single person, uh, we wanted to really hear some of your thoughts around this issue.
2: You're kind of bringing up some of the larger issues within the church that single people would face around the stigma, like the expectation that, you know, why aren't you married? And which all you married people out there and those who aren't, that's the worst question ever. It kind of brings to light that idea that to be married is better. To be married is preferred. That everybody's end goal is that they would get married, which isn't necessarily true and isn't necessarily right for everyone, even if that is your heart's desire. You almost
1: need a special call on your life to be single, where you should need a special call in your life to do anything. Get married or not get married. Either one requires a calling.
2: Like, if it's not possible for single people to engage the Lord in an equally meaningful way as married people on this side of eternity, then God is just kind of mean.
1: Somehow saying, well, if you're single... You can't access that because you're not married, so then there's, like you're saying, a ceiling on your revelation. But I think you you could almost go the other way from Scripture, that there are, there are places in the heart of God, there are things that a married person might actually have a harder time accessing.
2: And so I think that there's a really important role that single people play to declare to the world, Jesus isn't here yet, and it's not okay. I think that that just has to be a larger church shift around the way that we think about single people, that we're equal. And if you want to go in a real different direction, like we're equally sexual people when you think of sexual as being a person created in the image of God, bearing all of the same identity. It's
0: true that every person that is married now, you're either going to die or you're going to be single at one point, unless for some reason you die with your spouse. So it's like singleness is going to hit. The majority of us at some point, right? And now for part two on our episode on singleness. Personally, I, I do my best to remind
1: myself and my wife, Melissa, of that concept, because um, when we talk about things, it's like, yeah, I love you, honey, but like not number one, like you're number two. As much as my heart goes out to my wife, the first place in my heart is for Jesus. And even we're, we're careful with our language. Like we don't say like, I love you more than anyone in the world. Like, we, we say like, I love you so much, but there's a special place that's the Lord is number one. He's the first one. And when you, we, you, you see it in movies, they're like, oh, we'll be married forever. And I'll often mention like, well, actually not. Like people are only married for a finite amount of time. We're going to be married forever to Jesus. That's our our end goal. That's where the, the marriage ends or not ends, begins really. And so, uh, it's it, you know it's a little bit morbid to think okay well one day one of us is going to die or Jesus will return such a sh- small period of time in the large scheme of things it right? is and so we want to use our marriage to encourage one another one of my vows was i would lead our lives in the faith and hope of our lord that the goal of our marriage primarily is not about uh, fulfilling each other's needs and just loving on one another so that we can have a great life. It's about leading one another into Jesus, into the love of of Christ. Because without that, like, there's really not, at least in my opinion, marriage is kind of like, well, you know, 50-50. Like, you could be married, you could not be married. But if you're going to be married to someone, then you better be bringing them to Jesus. And they better be bringing you to Jesus. And the, the result of this should be both of you loving Jesus more and then bringing that knowledge to others to bring the gospel forth. Uh, because that's, I see like a very missional point of marriage. And then obviously in your case, Johann, you have children. So then you bring that love and gospel to your children. And so there's a, there's a mission field there, but there, that has to be front and center.
2: Well, otherwise it's really shallow. It's like what everyone is proclaiming This will make you happy. This will make you satisfied. This will be so great. And I can only assume because I'm not married. It's not always great.
0: It's not always great. It's always challenges. Yeah.
2: And sometimes I stop myself when I am just spending long periods of time with Jesus on my own. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm not married. I have nobody to answer to. And I can decide how I spend my time. I don't have children. That happened just the other day. I was sitting outside, I was reading my Bible by myself with no interruptions. And I'm thinking of my married friends who it can be a real struggle, and depending on the season and you know what they've got going on in their life, they really have to fight to get that ten minutes alone with Jesus. And I'm like, I take this so for granted. And we don't talk as much about the blessings and the opportunities of singleness. We talk about the joys and the wonderful partnership of marriage, but they're both there, they're both real and they're both difficult in their own way.
0: That's good, for sure. Like being married, you have more responsibility. You're you're one with another person. So it's like a whole other person is gonna be involved in whatever you do. So like there's blessing in that and there's also blessing in singleness. I totally get what you
1: yeah there's challenges in marriage and challenges in singleness like it's again not raising one above the other and saying this is the norm or this is the preferred um i think that's really a a important way to frame it and maybe we haven't done the best job of framing well i know we haven't done the best job of framing it like that in the church um and so that's part of the reason why we're having this discussion is to to maybe if you've never thought of that maybe you've never thought in your praying community about singleness and and thought, how does that affect those around you? How does those affect the the ones in your in your congregation or in your church? Has there ever been a message about the joys and the opportunities of singleness? Has that ever come up? And if it hasn't, maybe you should think about it.
0: So let leading to into this question then. So what are some of the things that make singles thrive in a community?
2: Community. Uh, I think singles thrive when there's opportunities to be... A vital part of whatever is going on. I've found so much joy in being part of Sanctuary House of Prayer and knowing that my contribution is valuable and that I have a place there. Being in the lives of other families and being able to connect with their children, that's been super valuable. Uh
0: As long as you're not just left at the wedding table with all the children.
2: (laughs) Or left at the forever babysitting table of like, because I think that there's probably a pitfall there also with the house of prayer that, you know, the same thing that is a joy and an opportunity and a privilege that I have all of this time when misused can be like, well, you know, you don't have kids, you don't have a partner, a husband. So obviously you can serve and give all the time. And we're going to ask you before somebody else. And so I think people just need to be, we just need to be more aware. We need to be conscious of the, the realities that are at hand and ask, like ask the single people in your community, what would be life-giving to them? What would be an opportunity that they would like to engage in that they might not have? I was listening to a podcast earlier and they were talking about how there is a lot of discrimination, for lack of a better word, against single people in the ministry, that, you know, people often, churches don't want to hire single pastors because, you know, they're going to cause people to sin or there's going to be just opportunities. And their response was, would you have hired Paul as your lead pastor? Like, that's just such a ridiculous idea when you think of it in context. Would you have hired John the Baptist? Would you have hired Jesus? I sure hope the answer is yes, but we've set up these these structures that say that, you know, our sexuality, we can't handle ourselves and so everyone's gonna fall into a massive pit and single people unfortunately are more prone to being caught in that spot.
0: And a lot of that probably comes from you know, the priests and and the scandals that have that have arisen because priests aren't allowed to marry in the Catholic Church, right? But there's that's a whole sect of Christianity where the leadership isn't allowed to be married. But at the same time, how many pastors have we found out that have that have cheated on their wives or or their husbands? where they fallen into sin and you know? it's both ways.
1: Yeah. So my aunt, uh, she up until about two years ago was single. And so she was single for about 20 years of ministry and the church hired her on as a single woman and gave her lots of responsibility. And she, she pastored and she did things with youth and with children's ministry. And they've always just been really accepting and understanding. And then sure enough, a couple of years ago, she did end up getting married in her mid forties. And you know that's good for her she wanted to take that step and that's the choice that she made but up until then she was serving as a single woman and i thought that was so cool when i cuz again i she's not actually my actual aunt she's like my aunt in law I like married in and when i found out about it, i was like oh this is so cool aunt melanie's the best like that she would do that and that the church would accept that and and even encourage that and love that like such a such a picture and you think like if she's ministering you know you think like the youth group the youth ministry she's ministering to all single people like All the youth are single, or if they are in a relationship, it's probably a bad one. (laughs) And so, like, what a good witness for them. Like, in some ways, youth ministry, there's such a a gift that she brings as a single person. Yeah, like a married couple ministering to youth. I remember going to youth, and there was Tim and Tara, and they were married, and that was cool to see, like, a marriage, but equally cool to see a single person there. I think having both, like, it just is such a a value added that way.
2: Well, to be a role model, to say look at me, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, and this is what it looks like to live as a single person who really loves Jesus, who really, in this season, in this state of being, is just giving themselves unto loving the Lord with all that they have, with all that they've been given. And I think that there's a lot of missed opportunities, even for single people. Like There's a lot of shame around being single and Like, just feeling those stigmas and not wanting to be single, where I think if we were having more of these conversations, the opportunity to celebrate singleness, not by having a party because you're single, but like just to live every day, what are the opportunities that are afforded to me as a single person? I think also with the pastors that are falling into sin, I think that's another issue because we're not having these conversations and because people feel like they can't talk about sexual struggles or issues that they're having, particularly pastors. I don't even know where, where does a pastor go to talk about any kind of struggle?
0: Yeah, that's,
1: I mean, that's a whole podcast in (laughs) and of itself. That's a
2: whole podcast in and of itself. But by and large, the church, I have not heard, I've heard a few online sermons about sexuality and marriage, and I've never heard one in person. But I don't know. I grew up in the 90s where true love's weights and the purity culture was, it was it. And so there's all sorts of issues that unintentionally came along with that, that we've made this context where people feel like they can't talk about any sort of struggle and the idea that, you know, you, you stay single and pure until you get married. and And then what? It's like, oh, wait, I was single and pure until I got married. And now I'm not single and I'm not, I don't have to... Maintain a level of purity, and also that that was an, like an expected equation. If this, then that. If I wait well and I'm a good single person and I follow all the rules, then I'll get a marriage as though that's like the reward on the other side. Well, that thinking probably
0: led to a lot of premature marriages back in the 90s, too, which is why. The divorce rate might be so high, right? It
2: probably did. And you can kind of throw in Paul with his like better to marry than to burn idea around that. But I think it also led to a lot of disillusioned people who followed the rules and didn't get the reward that they were promised. And so as a single person, you feel like you got ripped off. Like they told me if I did this, then I would get that. And that's the thing that they told me that I needed. And then I didn't get it. And it turns out none of this is actually true. This doesn't equal that, and that shouldn't be the reward regardless.
1: Well, yeah, there's definitely just a whole setup there that's really weird. Because, again, growing up in the 90s, there's all this stuff like to me what sticks out is this whole like if you've ever seen the demonstration where you have like this tape and initially like it's really sticky but then it sticks to a lot of different things and then in the end it's like not so sticky anymore and so it's like this is your sexuality and so if you just go sticking it on a bunch of different things and having relationships with all sorts of people by the end you're not sticky anymore and so then you can't find love or something. <laughs> And Ooh. so, yeah, it's a very damaging uh, demonstration because it basically teaches you somehow that um, you only have, I don't know, so much love to give and then eventually you're out of love and, and now you're destined for, I don't know, a loveless life. And so it, the argument would be stay pure and then everything will, will work out great. Uh, but that's like, that's not the gospel message. That's, there's no redemption. There's no Jesus. There's no anything. And so there's there's so many things in the mix in, in the, that era, I think that just have have really set people up with a, a weird expectation for life. That somehow, like you're saying, if you were to stay pure, then automatically you'll find marriage, and then automatically that marriage will equal happiness, and then that happiness will be the rest of your life. That This is just this trajectory that everything, if you just follow these rules, ABC, it'll all work out. And that's just not how life is. That's not how life works.
2: Mm-hmm. And I am in no way campaigning against purity. I think that it's really valuable but there's just so many pitfalls with the way that it's been presented and the the context that the church presents about what this all means. And it's a way bigger conversation. There are lots of people who are much, much smarter who are having conversations about this, but I think it's also really important that we're we're talking about it too.
0: So I've grown up with this thinking, and I think it's still there and prevalent, that couples tend to want to have other couple friends or that they should have other couple friends that they hang out with regularly. And it might be kind of weird to have a single person join your family because you're a family. Why wouldn't you hang out with another family? And personally, I think that's totally bogus because I have tons of single friends that we've had over and we hang out and we get along great. But how do you respond when you hear that? Like, have have you heard that before?
2: I think that there have been lots of people who have been hurt by couples only invitations like oh we're having a party but it's just for couples or we're having a dinner party and we only have this many chairs and it's an even number so like just read silly things I think that's a real thing I think that it's a, a dumb thing because as a single person I can relate easily to single females like Those are my that's my friend group. That's easy. But it's a little bit more of a weird thing to interact with with men, whether single or married, because there's all of these weird things that are kind of unsaid and you're like, what's going on? I don't fully know where we stand. And I think maybe obviously I'm not a I'm not a man, so I don't know what they're thinking about this, but that I've had friends where I've invited the couple over and only the woman comes and it's like, is it because he thinks that we won't have anything to talk about? Is it because he doesn't, I don't know. I'm I'm just assuming I'm totally making guesses about why that's happening, but I, and I'll just like give a props to Jehu over here because I feel like I'm equally good friends with Jehu and Melissa and we do things together. And I just, I'm, take a moment to commend you because I'm really blessed by that because not everybody does that. And maybe that is a reflection of the the way that you were raised or that you've somehow escaped these weird cultural phenomenon (laughs) that say that you're not supposed to be friends until I have a, a husband that you can go on a walk with and talk about man things. I don't know, but you've done a really good job. I think that you guys are a good example of that.
0: Thank you. Well, and I think it's almost harder to find another couple as a couple to be friends with because then you got to find four people that get along with each other well, right? Whereas if you're a couple and I I invite Rebecca over to my place, you get along with my kids, you get along with my wife, you get along with myself. So it's always a great conversation. So,
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe I just escaped that whole sort of, maybe my dad never gave me the make sure you only hang out with couples when you're married talk. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's there though. It's. it's I definitely think it's... Maybe, I don't know. It's a weird, So it's, it's weird in my head because I've never, I don't think about people like that if I was to, if I was to organize something or I was to hang out with someone that tends to not enter my head. So like, I'm trying to match up. Okay, if I'm going to come over, it's going to be me and Melissa go over to this other couple or have a couple over here. It's just like, I just want to be friends with people and especially in our praying community I want to find like-minded people who love Jesus and we can all run after the Lord together and so whether you're single or whether you're married I just want to find people who we can love Jesus with and so to me like the your relationship status is not like the most important thing about you that's like and I I would I would say it's a similar thing for age. Like for me, I grew up having a lot of really older male friends. That was very unconventional. Like all my peers were 10 years older, easy. And, that's was just, I guess, the people who were in the House of Prayer at the time. There weren't any other guys my age, but I loved hanging out with other men who were older than me, and they were able to teach me things that were way more helpful than my actual age group peers at school, because they're just useless. And so <laughs> I feel like that diversity then just kind of carries forward. Like, I, I want to be friends with people who are 50, 60, 70, like there's stuff that they have to teach me. I don't want to just be with the millennials. Like I only hang out with millennials. Like that whole diversity thing, I think is so healthy for the church because we get so much more from, from others. I am thinking too, uh, and when we had our community times before all the COVID stuff, like, uh, Jonathan, he's was a member of our community. He's moved on now. If you're listening, uh, we missed you, Jonathan, but he's, uh, he's an older individual. He's not quite a millennial. Uh, I'm not going to say how old he is, but he's he's a little bit past the millennial age. And I loved hearing and interacting and, and the back and forth because when you get in that bubble, when you get in that everyone's the same as you, this echo chamber, I don't think that's helpful for growing yourself as a person or for growing in your faith because that everybody's just telling you
0: everything the same and it's just this weird echo chamber. I don't think that's good. I think in the end, we just need to realize that every individual, the Lord has something they've placed in them that they can be a gift to everyone else, right? Whether you're a couple or or you're single, like Rebecca, you have gifts that would be beneficial for my family to hang out with you because you have gifts that you can pass on to us and, and that we can benefit from just by hanging out with you. And that's the case with everybody. So we don't wanna leave anybody out, which is why we're having this conversation. So for those that haven't really thought much about this conversation, uh, this is kind of a new, shedding some new light onto a, a topic. Rebecca, what kind of uh, resources would you recommend that our listeners listen to if they want to, you know, gain better understanding into this topic?
2: Listen to, read, all of the above. Sure. Any type of resource. Any, Any type, type of resource. resource that would be helpful. Well, I already mentioned fill these hearts. By Christopher West, and I'm super excited because he's coming out with a sequel sometime in the future. He's writing it during COVID, so one good thing that has come out of COVID is that he's writing another book. Uh, Julie Slattery, Rethinking Sexuality. Uh, there's another one called Divine Sex by Jonathan. I can't remember. We'll find his it name. and put it in the show notes. Yeah, and all of these people also have podcasts, which are. I also really like Java with Julie, Ask Christopher West, uh, The Hole in My Heart podcast, uh, Chris Valentin. It's not his anymore, uh, but he started a podcast called Moral Revolution, the Moral Revolution podcast. And these are all really great. They have lots of good stuff. Uh, they're having these conversations. They're opening up the awkwardness and just going right on in. It's it's just really good.
0: So other than resources, you probably just encourage people, like, let's start talking about this stuff.
2: Let's start talking about this stuff. I've listened to a series by Billy Humphrey, who used to lead a house of prayer in Atlanta, Georgia. Many years ago, I listened to this series and it was his series on marriage. And the last... The last one was about sex and he, or the second last one. And he's like, I don't want to be that guy who preached the, the sermon about sex. And he was, I was like, wow, this is crazy. I've never heard a message like that. Like, we need more people like that. We need more conversations. Brian Creary, if you're listening, you should probably do a sermon series on this and open up the conversation.
1: I think I might have heard that series. Um, If it wasn't, I know it was Billy Humphrey talking. And I remember him sharing this story that really touched my heart. He was talking about his kid and he was asking his kid, uh, what do you know about sex? And his kid said, well, I know it's bad. Oh, and it just was like, and it, it hit him like as a, as a steward of the word that this is what his kid knew about sex, that it was bad.
2: Well, and that's the message of the purity culture is that it's bad, bad, bad until you get married, 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 and then it's all of a sudden you flip some switch somewhere and it becomes good. And that's so untrue. And when we think about kind of going right back to the beginning where we started talking about marriage as a metaphor, it's good. God designed it to be good and that it speaks of the infinite mystical union that we're going to have with Jesus, infinite bliss forever. And that's like, yeah, parents have conversations with your kids that did not say sex is bad because it's not, it's, it's to be treated as holy and precious and kept within the proper confines so that it remains good and not twisted up. Like the world has done and the devil has done to it, but yeah.
0: Amen. Let's stand. Rebecca, thank you so much for having this conversation with us.
2: Oh, my pleasure.
0: For sure. And this has been such a good conversation. I know I've learned a few things and I hope our listeners have too. And as always, Rebecca, you're welcome to come on the show for future episodes. We'd love to have you. And to our listeners, was there anything that you heard today that encouraged you? Or do you have any other comments, anything that you would like to say on the topic? We would love to hear from you. So reach out to us. But first, we got some responses on our social media, and Danica, who has actually been running a lot of our social media side of things, she's going to come on and share what we've been hearing on social media. So Danica, what, what have some of the responses been on some of these previous episodes?
3: All right, first of all, I want to thank all of our listeners for those who have taken the time to respond, and even those who have maybe responded and just didn't share it with us. And we're going to start off with Instagram. We made a post about our questions around the Oval Table from episode one of season three, where we asked, do you have a spot you always go to in your praying community? And we were referring to chairs and sitting down. And then so we had a comment on Instagram from Mark. I personally like to switch it up every now and then, whether depending, whether it's a huge factor nowadays, be it fires (laughs) fires. hurricane storms or even winter storms and Mark I have to agree it's 2020 you never know what's going to happen
0: yeah Mark I think we need to have you on a future episode because that's very much in our wheelhouse of sense of humor and yeah you're right like I can't even sit in my regular spot right now because it's all socially distanced in our prayer rooms kind of Kind of a weird time that we're living in, not being able to sit in our regular spots. So, yeah, I'm still wandering aimlessly trying to figure out where I'm sitting. Anyway, Danica, are there any other responses that you wanted to bring to our attention?
3: Yeah, we had two more responses. Um, We're going to start with one from Ron from Facebook. And he responded to how have you been responding to the challenges of COVID? And so what he said to us was calm and focus through busy times and fall yard work large families, and taking time to relax with hobbies and friends, etc, etc. And I just personally really happy to hear from someone else outside of my close-knit prayer community about how they were dealing with the challenges of COVID. And it was just neat to get to have a perspective that wasn't just on either our questions around the overall table or like some of our memes, but more like checking in on everyone. You know, Johan?
0: Yeah, it's a good time to slow down. Uh, spend time with family and spend time in your personal prayer time for sure. And spend time listening to the Burning Rooms podcast, the back catalog, you know, so good opportunity to do that. So thanks, Ron.
3: Yeah, thanks, Ron, for that. And then finally, we had a response to our pens um, from the meme we posted on Facebook from Jason Who, first of all, we would like to say thank you for always liking and sharing our posts on Facebook and helping to expand our reach. It is very much appreciated. And so he said, they write well. You'll never have to buy pens for your kids through their graduations, LOL.
0: So Jason obviously got his hands on one of these pens. And the offer still stands to, you know, send these pens out to anybody that might want one. $5 shipping.
3: And I will also say maybe we will throw in a consecrate postcard. They're very aesthetically pleasing to the eye with how they were formatted. And th- as one I think
0: you mean consecrate, not I- consecrate.
3: Okay. We will fix that later. <laughs> <laughs> I can't like I can't say things. This is why I'm on the, <laughs> the oval tables anyway. Um, This
0: is coming from an alumni.
3: Yeah, this is coming from an alumni, guys. Can't even say the internship I was in. Anyway, I would say I agree with Jason. I have at least 10 of these pens, and they do write well, and they are getting me through my current degree in university. So if you want a pen, let us know on Instagram or Facebook. Leave us an anchor message saying, I want a pen. How do I get one? And maybe we'll send you like three. You never know.
0: So consecrating Burning Rooms getting you through your university.
3: Oh, yeah. Only way to do it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Anyway, thanks so much for sharing what's been said on social media, Danica. So, listeners, keep chiming in and you might get your social media posts read on air as well. So, thank you very much. And now we'll be joined by Danica, Jehu, and Brian Neistater for this week's segment Questions for the Oval Table. Today's topic is. Lighting, not lightning, lighting in the prayer room. Okay. This is a tough one for me as a worship leader. I'm on stage. It drives me crazy. I, there's this one pot light, stage light. It shines directly onto my face. Now, I'm glad I'm not as bald as Brian because that would <laughs> reflect into the room. Sorry, man. No, but, that's fine. Not everyone likes reflecting glory. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. But like, It's not I, your thing. Almost at a protest, I you know, I wanna have a good attitude leading worship and stuff. I asked they don't have dimmers on these things either. So almost at a protest I wanna wear sunglasses while I lead worship, but I think that would just be ridiculous. Because you know, if you turn off the light on stage, it's black and you can't see, especially now that we're starting to video record our you know, going online with our services and stuff. But hitting the big time. There's also room lighting. Do people like it bright? Some people, I saw, I've been in some churches where it's completely dark and just stage lit up. Do we have any opinions? I just said my opinion for the stage thing. I like the room lit up because I like to read my Bible, obviously in a prayer room. So I'm a big fan of having the lights dimmed.
1: I'm not like a fog machine kind of person, but you know, dimming the lights, it's just something about you can engage in worship a little bit more. You're a little more free. It feels a little more like a concert. I like when the lights are dimmed, but not the whole time because. You gotta read. Imagine if the prayer room at IHOP just had dim lights the whole time. You'd sleep during the night for sure. You'd sleep during the day, and then anytime you try to read, you just get like this eye
0: strain. So I don't know. I, what about white lighting or yellow lighting? Because our prayer room is kind of yellowish, you know. Oh yeah, the color of the light. I think this is where I come in because I I'm really big into the black light, um, just so that we can have that glowing white, sort of like glow bowling. But like I just feel like in the prayer room. <laughs> One of the things we struggle with is how do we bring in new people? And I just think this is this is, this is is our way forward, the black I actually, light.
1: I actually think yours would work for mine because black light still keeps it dark enough that it feels like a concert. But your pages would just be so bright. The Bible pages, they would just... Illuminate the word. Wow. Yeah.
3: All great opinions. Um, I'm not sure if it would bring more people in with black lights, but I think...
0: I am. <laughs> I'd be wearing white shirts every single... Weak. oh white.
3: everyone would be wearing white, white shirts every single week. white pants
0: like white suspender white guitar well I just go with a white stripe down the side of my pants <laughs> Sorry, Danica <laughs> what were you saying I'm
3: sorry yeah I your
0: just... your opinion is valid
3: um I think like I don't like the yellow lighting in the prayer room it just it reminds me of like those like short movies that people make in high school that like are kind of like pretend horror movies and it's just a bunch <laughs> of in, like yellow lighting. And it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I like brighter lights in the prayer room. Um, but what about for long
0: hours? Wouldn't that give you a headache or something?
3: Looking back on the internship, because we were there for, like, the five hours and then other things, I think, like, I'd like to try it, like, especially for, like, any, like, teaching because sometimes I will fall asleep during the sermon um, with the yellow lighting. But it just it's easier to pay attention sometimes than when it's dim because it's just, like... It's dim, and I just don't get a good vibe from So candle from that. lights
0: wouldn't work for you well. no. no. Also fire hazard. Disco <laughs> ball, too far?
3: Yes.
1: Strobe light. Then everyone's happy.
0: <laughs> okay, I don't think we came to any conclusion on this. Listeners, if you have an opinion, what does your prayer room look like, or your building, wherever you meet? We're curious, and does it work for you? I mean, we had another conversation about overhead projection screens. You know, you don't want that to clash with your lighting in your room either because that can cause problems, right? So yeah. lighting, lighting in prayer rooms is important when you're there all day. You don't want people to get headaches. You want them to be able to stay and read their Bibles and you, you know.
3: Or be distracted by strobe lights.
0: Yeah. Strobe lights or disco balls. You know, I got to be honest. I, I didn't know how this segment would go, but I just really found it quite enlightening. This is, <laughs> this is a great time, guys. Okay. Now I need to stop this conversation. All right. I'm the closer i make a comment and it just ends it like tom uh, ha- tom hanky i think there's more of a crash than a close uh yeah <laughs> for 1992 blue jays ref here we go okay Th- thank you for joining another episode of the burning rooms podcast if you want to find out more information about us go to our website burningrooms.ca find us on instagram facebook the burning rooms podcast on instagram burning rooms podcast on facebook Or you can email us. Just go to our website and you'll find out all the information that you need to find. Until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. And I'm Rebecca. And this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast.